Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of O'Donnell for Liberty. I am your host, Justin O'Donnell. Uh, first things first, give a plug out to our always sponsor, SnackSwag.com. You can go and get your favorite Liberty gear backed by popular demand, the already against the next war shirt available over at SnackStag.com. And all as always, free shipping on all orders at SnackStore.com. Uh, links are in the description for that. And I want to give a big welcome to our guests for this conversation today. Um, this is a real important topic, huge topic. Um, uh, shown by that bumper video I put together, we, we've had a global war spanning an entire generation, four presidencies costing trillions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives that finally looks like at least a big part of it might be coming to an end. And I wanted to bring in three people that I thought could bring the most unique and most thorough perspectives to this discussion. Uh, so we can talk about what this means for the future and where it's going to get. First up, we got Adam Kukesh of Iraq Veterans Against the War fame, libertarian activist extraordinaire. We've got everybody's favorite libertarian book boy, Magnus, uh, talking from coming from the left side of libertarian activism and organizing the big end the wars protest in D.C. coming up. And our cream de la creme. Uh, proprietor of antiwar.com and everybody's favorite anti-war writer, Scott Horton. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. How are you guys? Excellent. You're doing awesome. great. So, as I said, this, this war has eclipsed anything you would think of when you just say the word war. And you talk to somebody about the history of warfare in the United States. It's spanned an entire generation where the last troops coming out were walking the same patrols their fathers walked 20 years ago. Cost trillions of dollars that's going to impact our economic debt and our inflation for generations yet to come. Cost millions of lives across the globe uh, in this conflict and spanned four presidencies. Um, Everybody has a different perspective on it. Everybody's coming from a different approach. I, I invited all three of you on because you guys all come from different approaches, but to the same conclusion that we just need to end the damn wars. <laughs> well, Justin, let me just say first, this is an awesome panel to talk about foreign policy and militarism and activism all together. But I'm pretty sure you're the only one here who's actually been to Afghanistan. Uh, so, I, But as a group, the four of us, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. No, and I'm excited for it. And, like, I, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, like, Scott, you definitely come at this from a more academic approach and, like, just why the wars are bad. And uh, Magnus, like, you're the feet in the streets kind of guy ending the war. And Adam, like me, you've stood up as a veteran, like, telling people your stories about why it's bad and what you've experienced. And... Afghanistan, Iraq, what's the difference when there really was no borders to this war? We have troops in the Philippines, in Mali, uh, in 89 different countries, I think, there's combat operations with U.S. troops. I think I think it's uh, we're bombing. I have the stat like right in front of me. We're bombing six, like have people involved in 12, have like combat operations in four. Stop saying we, Magnus. <laughs> Stop saying we, you're part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> the the u.s empire i'm gonna pull yeah, up the stat, thank you, thank you. I'm gonna pull the stat better, right now actually so when i when i first pitched the show when i when i first reached out to all you guys um it, it wasn't the war is over like it was after i reached out to all you guys that it was all of a sudden the taliban retook afghanistan um 
U.S. citizens are being evacuated in panic, and Biden gave a speech that blew my mind, and I have to give props to Biden's speechwriter, as finally saying uh, we shouldn't be fighting these wars that people aren't willing to fight for themselves. Um, so, like, a lot's happened since we agreed to do this show. How do each of you feel like the end of the war in Afghanistan affects the mission of ending the wars in general? I guess I guess I'll jump yep. up on that. Um, I'll I'll be the probably the most pessimistic person here. Of <laughs> I I I think that obviously while ending the war in Afghanistan is is good. In that same exact speech, he's like, "But we're going to ramp up anti-terror operations across yep. the globe, including expanding in Africa and expanding in Asia." And it's like, okay, so I've been selling this kind of as it's not really an end of a war; is more of a change of theater. Seeming Afghanistan was supposed to be the the terror war, anyways. It wasn't as much like Iraq or Syria, or Syria where it was regime change. That's you know, Afghanistan was the war on terrorism kind of thing. And Biden just told us straight to our faces, like, oh, we're going to go into Ethiopia and Somalia. And like, it's like, okay, the war is not really over. We just changed where we're going to fight it. Yeah, I want to bounce off that with something very positive and acknowledging that negative because I'm concerned that the mess that is being made in Afghanistan is deliberate in order to create more excuses for re-engagement somewhere else or back in Afghanistan. I mean, already it's it's a, it's a small surge, but the surge around the evacuation, what, 5,000 troops? Is that, is that what it is now being, they, they being deployed? They said up to 6,000. Up, and I up think to was, whatever. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't think that's not the thing to be afraid of, but it's like already here's an excuse. And Justin, you know the cost of deploying a single troop into a combat theater and back, regardless of whether they do anything there is really freaking expensive. And uh, one other point I want to make is that I, I think everybody here would agree that, that using appropriate language and being precise is very important. And uh, I, I, I really want to make sure nobody here calls I'm going to be the, the, the grammar definition Nazi here uh, that no one calls us a failure because it wasn't a failure. It was a massive success, possibly the most efficiently profitable war crime in human history. And the, 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 the optimism I have here is that while there's a seemingly concerted effort to create new excuses for re-engagement, for example, today, by the way, fuck Matt Drudge. Drudge Report used to be like a reasonably questioning news aggregator. Now that they have a picture today, scary Arab dude with an AK going like this to the camera and says, ISIS returns. And then the, the headline it links to is Washington Post saying, the government, the feds are warning that ISIS might return. And it's like, are you really helping them spread this fear porn? But right, it's like the, fact, so, so the source is probably like a UN report or something that has yeah, no, right. it's some, no references. Some fabricated. <laughs> now we have to be afraid of ISIS coming back. But uh, this is being used now for this fear. The good thing, the one thing I want to celebrate, though, is that the powers that be behind Biden and Biden himself knew that it was no longer politically viable to continue this war. If he didn't end it by the end of his first term, no chance he gets reelected. He wanted to end it early, get the math, the, the mess sort of out of the way, try to maybe have a handle on things, give out some more uh, relief checks, you know, before reelection. Uh, but it, it, this is a, a big mark of what has been continued incremental progress due to our work and, and to Scott, especially for, uh, you know, Fool's Aaron, the book on Afghanistan. And 
uh, it's it's like we get this big demarcation. The war's over now, but really it's just one mark in this gradual decline of of militarism and the power of the military-industrial complex to rip everyone off. Yeah, Scott, how do you feel about that? I mean, like with the war in Afghanistan coming to an end, is it just going to free them up to ramp up everything else everywhere else? Yeah, it could. I mean, my greatest fear, right, is that we get them to end the war on terrorism and then they just say, fine, it's all about the Cold War with China and see if, you know, which could really be a, a real risk <clears throat> of of something going really wrong there. In fact, you know, as I write about in the book, our position in Afghanistan is part of that Cold War against Russia and China still has been kind of all along anyway. Um, and it's one of the last ditch kind of desperate excuses you'll hear from the media right now that um, I saw Peter Bergen say, oh, but we have such a great strategic uh, outpost here being adjacent to Iran and Russia and China, which doesn't give us any strategic advantage at all, but it does increase the risk of some kind of tripwire for conflict with these countries that otherwise we don't want to be in conflict in. It's like that old meme that used to circle around. It was just a map of Iran and showed all the U.S. Right. bases in Afghanistan and Iraq. They must really said, want war. They put their country in the middle of all of our bases. Right. And, you know, in a way, like our Pentagon was doing us a favor in a backhanded way there by essentially putting American troops within the range of Iranian mid-range missiles, which serve as a major deterrent for us doing anything to them. Right. All those bases actually mean we can't fight them because they can sink our battleship right across the Gulf. We have the fifth fleet station in Bahrain. We have the massive air base in Qatar, in uh, Qatar troops in Kuwait and Iraq and Afghanistan in a crazy way. Like mutual assured destruction helps keep the peace kind of thing has helped keep us from fighting Iran this whole time. So, you know, I said during the Iran nuclear deal that like, look, all other things being equal, this is great. And I'm pretty sure it was on Tom Woods' show, I said. But, you know, I don't know. The Saudis could do something crazy in reaction, right? And then they started this horrific war of genocide in Yemen. Now, Obama helped them do it just to make them feel better about the fact that he was signing a nuclear deal with Iran. So, like, yeah, our, you know, our, even our Manning and, the, and Julian Assange and the heroic Iraq and Afghan war logs and State Department cables leak, that led to, yeah like a mildly successful Arab Spring revolution in Tunisia that lasted, what, like 10 years max, and in Egypt, a year and a half, and everywhere else, an American-Saudi CIA counter-revolution backing evil Al-Qaeda terrorists in Libya and Syria, leading the rise of the caliphate and all of the turmoil really helping to lead to the rise of the, the uh, turning of the war in Yemen. By, for, because of the ouster of Salah and all that. So you do the right thing and it should be, it should have good consequences, but it doesn't always have good consequences. You know, I don't know. Things could be much worse. Right. They could decide, you know what? 10 years ago, when they drew down from Afghanistan, they said, well, now we got to pivot to Africa because or else what are we going to do with our special operations forces? And that's where the big pivot to Africa came from back then was the end of the Afghan surge. Remember, they lost the Afghan war 10 years ago. It's the final end of the thing. So well, they lost it 20 years I ago. lost uh, one yep. loss. I think that's the wrong framing, man. I, well, it was, listen, it was, they, 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 they lost a certain element of the PR justification, but the occupation continued. You know, and it was never, they, it wasn't, I, 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 oh, I mean, I know this yeah, is a no, weird rhetorical well, look, I mean, it's a, it's a regional thing, right? The, posh, the Taliban ruled the Pashtun south and east. 
and a lot of the countryside, you know, like kind of even further in the south and the west of the country. And the Americans had their redoubt in the north with the Tajiks and the Uzbeks and the Hazaras and all that. So, and then at nighttime, the Taliban's jurisdiction expanded, <laughs> you know, they're kind of shadow government. And then in the daytime, they'd kind of retreat back to more like a guerrilla force to stay from being bombed. But they've said, no, I mean, they won the war and the Americans decided they really couldn't do anything about it. And the fact is that what you could do is you could do like a carpet bombing campaign of hydrogen bombs against the Pashtun regions and just destroy these people. Or you can admit that you can't tame them and they declared independence and they mean to stick with it. And there's nothing that we could do about it. And after 20 years, I mean, look at how quickly they took over the country. They had, um, they had made deals with, you know, right under the Americans' nose. They had made deals with a lot of the people the Americans were working with and everything. You know, Patrick Coburn wrote, this wasn't even a military victory as much as a political one, that they just came in and said, hey, we could either kill you or you guys can join us. And this is the same way they took power 25 years ago. They said, look, we don't want to kill you. Just surrender and do what we say. And then they go from warlord to warlord to warlord, saying, you know, like the Borg, saying join us or die and the americans couldn't do anything about that what are they gonna do they're gonna put another seventy-five thousand troops over there blow up a ton of shit kill a bunch of people and then be in the exact same position again i mean the surge 10 years ago only backfired right the population of the insurgency had increased by whatever however many hundred percent by the time they were done with it i mean you could say oh no that that's what they wanted to happen fine yeah. but i'm just saying at the end of the day well, they just got their asses driven out of the country and they're running for the airport well, you I, can't I mean, call that that's what they meant to happen all along. Dude. That's a humiliating, point, ignominious defeat. To Adam's point, Scott, I, I think what Adam's trying to say is like to say that the war was lost is only to acknowledge one aspect of the war. I, I think it's fundamentally acknowledgeable that the war was lost in not achieving its stated objective. Yeah, can I? But yeah, it was so I, I said one. this. So I was, yeah. I did an interview with RT International that keeps interviewing me recently it's been it's been it's been interesting um but they they asked uh you know about so, something that uh, along these lines of do you believe the military when they say these things and I, I think there's a level of military generals operators logistics planners etc at that level of military planning who are given a task by the architects of the policy at the level above them and I think Scott, it's it's Scott is just looking at it from their perspective. From their perspective, they lost. I'm looking at it because I think it's more important to look at it from the perspective. I don't think Scott's wrong. I, I I don't. I'm not saying you're wrong at all, Scott. I just think you're, and and, and I think you acknowledge you're reflecting this perspective of the the sort of generals, the commanders, the ones executing this policy on the ground. But I look at the architects and go, yeah, they knew this was happening. They knew this was all deliberate. And 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 I say this. This is where I will play the veteran's card a little bit, tell a quick story from my experience, because I was in Fallujah for the first battle in April 2004, and I saw the political manipulation of the second battle that had to happen under that militarist occupational combat reasoning pushed off till after the election. And a lot of Marines died needlessly because that tactical decision was compromised by what, what was clearly political influence on that process. Uh, but I want to ask a question to, to y'all, if, if, if that's all right, Justin, yeah, because ahead. I'm I'm watching what's happening. And one of the things that is is 
unsurprising is the demonization of the Taliban in the mainstream media. It's a big thing I cover uh, or have covered last week on my podcast, reading mainstream media headlines and just rephrasing, reframing and being like, can you imagine if they used the same language to describe the same actions of the U.S. government and military in Afghanistan? And there's a double standard. No, no kidding. But it's a clear effort right now to demonize the Taliban. And they're the rebels who just defeated the empire. You know, part of me wants to be cheering for them. And and the question I want to ask is, is it how much of, a, of an exaggeration is it to refer to the Taliban as the people's militia of Afghanistan at this point? I actually don't think it's that much of an exaggeration, personally. 65% of the population of Afghanistan is under the age of 25, which means the overwhelming majority of the population of Afghanistan does not remember life without U.S. occupation. They don't remember what Taliban governance was like. And these are the people fighting for the Taliban. It's not old people in their 40s and 50s who are the Taliban fighters who are going out and taking these cities. It's young men in their 20s and 30s, people who were too young to have remembered life under Taliban governance. These these people have Twitter accounts, Instagram, TikTok, like they're posting all the time. Like the memes are a regional thing, man. Yeah. It's It's a tribal and ethnic and regional thing. This is a Pashtun movement to take over the country and they're the plurality of the country, but they're not the majority of the country. And I don't think the Hazaras and the Tajiks and the Uzbeks are saying, hooray, the Taliban are here. I don't think they're saying that at all. They're some people's militia. That's who they are. Not the people's militia. (laughs) Can they grow into that? Because I'm, I'm cheering for the Taliban to be the most compassionate that they can be right now. I'm cheering for them wow. to live up to their rhetoric about being inclusive and, and respectful of women's rights as much as they can under their well, idea look, of they Sharia. They finished a successful suicide bombing campaign, Adam. You know, they're okay, not. So no, yeah. No I mean, chance. Look, well, whatever. I, who knows the future? The truth is, as you're saying, that, you know, Mullah Omar's dead and all the old guard are dead and they are much younger guys in charge now they are as you're saying they got smartphones and twitter they're plugged into the world it's not at all the same as it was there 20 years ago there's so much has changed um and they have announced already they want women to keep all their government jobs and they've said you don't have to wear a burqa just a hijab you know so your face can show not even necessarily like this but like they can show their whole face but otherwise be covered which is less worse than it was 20 years ago already and who knows, that might not last, right? I mean, Hakanzada might come back and say, all right, we're going back to the 1300s, everybody. And then, or or he might say, we're killing all the Shiites because they're all heretics. Where I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, these guys are, they are ruthless murderers. They have been this whole time. So, um, you know, that's why Bill Clinton supported them in the 1990s. Was so Because they were the most, well, I mean, I'm not trying to just be ironical and shit. Like, that's really true, right? Like, we need somebody to instill law and order around here so we can build our pipeline from Turkmenistan. And hey, when, he, when Scott is so profound that it's funny and you can't stop from laughing, you're still supposed to not laugh and just be serious with can. Scott, okay? <laughs> it's, the whole situation is absurd. So you kind of got to, despite 
the reality yeah. of, of everything. You kind of have to giggle yeah. at it because it's just preposterous. Did you guys exactly. see the footage of the Taliban playing on the playground where they're it's on screens and on the merry-go-round and stuff? And, and the bumper the cars? There, yeah, there was the one video that got me was in the, they were in the, the gym in the basement of the palace and there was a guy with just RPG over his shoulder like doing like the shoulder press machine and I'm like, this is... This is the most That's absurd thing I've shit. probably ever yeah. seen. And then, yeah, and what? And, and like, this, this is the modernity they, they've never seen before. They're like, dude, you know, at the park, they have the thing where you get on the little horsey and it like goes back and forth. They were riding those. Yeah, like that's like a big were, deal for them coming out of caves uh, or coming uh, coming out of rural Afghanistan and, yeah, and like where it, they've been hiding. Yeah, it might have been the first time they ever really had fun, you know, other than maybe right. skipping some stones at the pond or something like that. And, and like the, serve ice cream. Right, yeah, I was going to actually bring that up. It's it's obvious <laughs> that whoever's running these, these social media campaigns is also very aware of modern politics and meme culture. Because that ice cream picture was deliberate. Like, that wasn't just like, oh, we got ice cream. Like, the, the account that posted it, if you translate it, they were making fun of Joe Biden. And because they know the meme of Joe Biden having all these pictures with ice cream. And it's right. like, okay, like, obviously, the propaganda, like, social media stuff with the Taliban is is way more advanced than people realize and you can you can dm these people they're on twitter i jumped in the dm of one of these guys it was just yep. like uh hi like this is weird you know like <laughs> may or may not have reached out to a couple of them to ask how they would handle See, this, this to me to this, this is what gives me a lot of hope and optimism uh for the internet effect in afghanistan and just being more connected to the world now like I, I mean, just the openness. I don't know how much of that is changing as a result of the end of the war happening, but I, I think getting the U.S. military out of the way, the world can now interact with the people. I don't want to say the people of Afghanistan directly, like we have perfect free trade or whatever, but that, that we can at least on social media uh, sort of directly relate to them like, like we haven't been able to for a long time. And I, I think there's going to be a huge effect of, of that Internet scrutiny on the Taliban, and it's those young guys who make up the the, the mass of the, the fighting force of the Taliban who are on the internet who are going, why can't we have nice things? Oh, because we have a fundamentalist government? I think they're gonna kind of, at least there's gonna be an immediate internet force of, of global accountability for the Taliban, and I think a, a, a positive progress, that's, you're gonna see you know leaps and bounds of progress that's been denied to them. Yeah, Listen, well, I think that's totally from, uh... right. And, and and you're raising the counterfactual right is what could have been instead. And, you know, the New York Times has a piece, I think it's from today. Someone tweeted it to me about how, yeah, you know, it is true that the Taliban offered to totally surrender to the Americans at the end of November. And I guess I had forgotten this part of it, that this is before they even let Osama escape. And they're still trying to, after the Taliban tried to surrender, they're still conflating the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and fighting the Taliban instead of Al-Qaeda. While they're letting Al-Qaeda get away, they're going to war, got their green berets fighting the Taliban up in Mazari Sharif and all this crap, right? So speaking um, of the meme culture of the Taliban, I want to break some but, news. That at least oh, yeah. Magnus is going to but, find very disappointing. I just went to go try and find I was going to say, it could have been peacetime with them the whole time. We could have been engaging them oh. with the internet this whole time we instead of been. doing a regime change. And, and... It would have been a hell of a lot less worse. Here we are starting off, starting all over again 20 years later after a couple of hundred thousand people killed. Now the question is, will the Internet help bring the Taliban into the 21st century? Well, that could have been the question in at, you know, New Year's Day 2002.
right? Yeah, we're we're not we're not dealing with no, like North Korea or something where they're totally closed off from the net. Like from from a digital perspective, their country's wide open. Like every, like everybody's online. They have no at least deliberate institutions of censorship when it comes to the internet and everything. So it's like they're using WhatsApp for nine one one services. Interesting. The Taliban managed to set up an emergency services system in Kabul within 24 hours, something that the Afghani government had struggled to do for 20 years to provide reliable civil services. But within 24 hours of taking (laughs) control, the Taliban government had set up a 911 emergency response system in seven different neighborhood response precincts where they could respond to calls, all utilizing WhatsApp. Is this actually so Ankapistan? To... Have we actually created Ankapistan? Hold on, just just a, a quick point out of a parallel of what I see as like a, a potential for technological leaps in a lot of Africa because of the, the failure of banking services to become accessible. They were using phone minutes as currency, and then they had a lot. They 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 a lot. Of, there, there seems to now I not an expert on crypto distribution in Africa, but it seems to be they're more primed to think of money digitally because of that experience. That's just this technological quirk where certain certain massive populations leapfrog others or are held back and then leapfrog in their technological experience. So yeah, I think, I think that's called the, a lot of that with Afghanistan. I think that's called like, like the power line effect or something like that. Cause I remember reading about this back in like 2005 or something like that of uh, the, African kind of culture around the internet and cell phones were actually further advanced than the United States in a lot of ways because they went, they never had power lines. They never had like rotary phones or anything like that. They just jumped immediately to cell phones. So like their entire culture was more primed around that to where like my local doctor's office still doesn't even have a website. You know, it's 2020. And the U.S. government (laughs) still demands that you fax in your forms and triplicate. So yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of the meme culture that's coming out of the Taliban and the the new woke Taliban on Twitter, um, Malang Koste, who's been one of the biggest Taliban tweeters. Please accounts, don't tell me it's fake. No, he uh, just his account was just terminated by Twitter for violating terms and conditions. No, I guess it wasn't fake then. <laughs> Why, Twitter? That doesn't mean it wasn't fake. Yeah, that doesn't mean that. <laughs> I was just uh, or that's a double fake. Got to look well, out for those. He right. was doing daily live streams and spaces from Kabul, walking around, showing what's going on. Hey, um, we should talk about the giant thing in D.C. Because yeah, uh, we got to make sure that it's a oh, giant yeah. thing, right? Yes. Yes. I, actually, I've spent the last five hours making like over like 80 phone calls and leaving like tons of voice messages on the Green Party, all the local organizations, churches, all sorts of stuff. So hopefully I'll get calls back from that. But uh, yeah, we're having a natu- national march on September 11th, End the Damn Wars. And uh, b- like big kind of awesome announcements around that. Um, the Arizona LP and the Arizona Green Party are organizing together, which is like, that's the whole thing I'm trying to do here. This is the whole point right. of it. And then and before, um, that's, before that's happening, I'm missing it because I committed to 9-11 in in uh in sacramento which is that's the, actually the other that's a, west that's, coast answer so. that's a that's a now an affiliated event so you're technically still showing up you're just at the one in yeah so uh we have sac uh sacramento or San, sorry california san country <laughs> and then we have uh scottsdale arizona we have new york new york we have fort lauderdale and apparently a couple other events across florida that would be a little smaller we have denver and then we have one in seattle and one in portland and obviously, like every other day, somebody's like, I want to organize something here. How do I do it? And I just tell people, like, just 
go out to a public park with a sign and tell your friends to show up. Like, like people seem to think activism is way more complicated than it actually is. Obviously with large national, like large events we're trying to do in DC, it's actually a mess because you have all these phone numbers and permits and everything but like low level local stuff is, is stupidly Super easy. easy and accessible. Yeah. I like a, a Michael, Michael, uh, Michael Heiss was on Tim pool just the other day. And he talked about how like he noticed that, the I think it was like the Pennsylvania Democrats or whatever ran on decriminalizing weed, but they hadn't done it yet. So he just got on his phone and just like called a couple people from the local Democratic Party and then talked to him and talked to the sheriff and like a couple people was just some phone calls. And they're like, oh yeah, we did forget to do that. And then they decriminalized mm-hmm. marijuana. It's like, okay, so Michael Heiss, just like one guy with like five phone calls, like got <laughs> so it's way easier than people think on on some levels. And uh, I remember myself and Andrew story. Holding managed to stop the uh tobacco tax and tobacco age raising in new hampshire just the two of us um by just going to city hall meetings it's it's as long as you're involved and you want to actually do the little work that needs to be done activism is very easy uh myself on 9 11 i'll be up in maine with harrison kemp at his protect the guard rally um oh so that's why that's where all the defend the guard people are going right I know, I know Michael uh, Rufo or Rufalo, however, however you say his last name, he's going to be in DC and he's like a defend the guard person. So they're still going to have representation yep. there. All right. So awesome. Indy Prime chimes in on YouTube and says the test will be how they react to the US leaving or not leaving on the 31st deadline and how they act when the US finally leaves. I don't expect flowers and rainbows, but I hope for a peaceful outcome. How do you guys feel about? The possibility like that's the deadline biden did put a hard fast deadline on the troop withdrawal for the last five thousand troops in kabul um is that really the test like how the taliban spends the next week and a half and how they react after that well it's definitely going to be a turning point but i I, quick answer it's definitely going to be a turning point but hearing that it's scary to think it wouldn't surprise me if they try to get away with no, Afghanistan is permanently a hotbed of terrorism. And if the U.S. military doesn't stay there forever, there will be more terrorists. And we, we partially withdrew for a few weeks. And look at that. ISIS is back. And so now we're back to full steam. You know, it's 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 all up in the air. So, yeah, this this is going to be critical. No, that's definitely not going to happen. If anything is going to happen, the CIA is going to lie with the Taliban to train Uyghurs to use against China. That's going to be the next stage of intervention there. They're not going back to war to rouse the Taliban out of Kabul, Adam. They're not. Dude. The I don't think it's likely. I think it's very unlikely, but it's it's a scary nah. small possibility at that but end look, of the worst case scenario do. spectrum. Do you what think the Taliban would make, stand against China? Do you think the they Taliban? Could, they, could, they could try to stay longer in the name of we haven't got all the civilians out yet. Give us a few more weeks. But that would be on a handshake deal with the Taliban to allow them to do that. You know, they're yeah. not to, to start the war all over again would mean they'd have to send in 50,000 guys, paratroopers to seize the Bagramer base, send in the Marines, send in the Army infantry and go back to war. And they're just not going to do that. That'd be dude. political suicide at this point. People would lose their minds. I, I don't think the Pentagon has any interest in that. And I don't think the president of the United States has any interest in doing that whatsoever. No, yeah, I, I, I really, I really do believe that they, they really want to draw down and focus on Africa because they will not stop talking about it. Like you can just yeah. keyword search Ethiopia and see all these blue check marks that are suddenly like freaking out about Ethiopia, <laughs> freaking out about Somalia and Mali. all like, yeah, Mali, like all these places at the same time. But I definitely think it's interesting and it kind of 
speaks to the Taliban's goals here of maybe I'm wrong because this is just a like thought I had a couple days ago that if they would have waited to essentially take over the country until we had fully withdrawn, then all the people that are currently surrounding the airport and were deploying troops and everything like that to get out of there, they would have just been screwed because we were gone. So I think I think it's, it says to the intentions of the Taliban that they didn't wait until we were we left like they it seems like their main goal was to humiliate us and just show like, yeah, screw like everything you did here. You're not even out yet. And the country's ours. And I, I think that kind of deliberate decision on their part to not wait till the exact withdrawal date kind of shows that the military probably isn't going to get involved again, just like Scott says. And if they do get involved, it's going to be like backroom deals, you know, contractors, spooky CIA things for other goals and other agendas. We'll see but you know, th then again, well, predicting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I want to make one. Yeah. I want to make one counterpoint because I, I, I stand by what I said is the possibility of like the the remote worst case scenario. But here's an actual historical proxy: troops in Japan, troops in Germany. It, it, maybe there's going to be a presence like that established in Afghanistan. Only if the Taliban said, sure, you can have the Bagram Air Base. It said the right. Taliban's position for 20 years has been get the hell out of our country or we'll shoot you. That's it. And the only time that they made an exception to that was they said, we'll enter into a ceasefire with you as long as we are negotiating your withdrawal. The and US if we're negotiating anything other than your withdrawal, then we will fight. That has been their position this entire time and has never wavered. So... I, I just don't think that's going to happen, man. I mean, you could have, again, again I guess my fear is um, that they're going to make too good of friends with the Taliban and try to use the Taliban and their Uyghur friends against the Chinese or something like that. But that would be it kind of in the near-term future here. But re-escalating the war against the Taliban, the new Taliban government in Kabul is just, there's no way to do that now. Well, I, just to, 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 I, I don't want to hack at this for too long because this is kind of like parsing apart possibilities, but I don't think we could put it past them to infiltrate, to, to, to murder, to drone strike, to render the Taliban ineffective by, by violence if they need to or subversion even. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they've they tried did. to do that for 15 years and they've utterly failed. Well, yeah, that's point. I mean, like I said, Scott, you said yeah. your prediction would be like the only thing close to kind of a re-entry would be the CIA lying with the Taliban to train Uyghurs to rise up against China. How likely do you think it is that the Taliban would go against China given the massive friendly overtures china has been making to the taliban great question. trade agreement <laughs> trying to build a pipeline Good question, yeah. isn't, isn't that what we all want to know i don't right. know you know listen the taliban just bit off a lot let's see if they can chew it at all right i mean they went they you know i don't know if you guys saw where one of the original statements by this guy baradar when they took over the presidential palace he gave this statement and he says, boy, we didn't think that it was going to be that easy and that we would be here this quickly. And so we should all praise Allah and be cool for now and try to figure out what we're going to do. Because they expected a fight, at least for Kabul. I don't think they I don't think the Taliban thought that the ANA was going to simply just disappear like vaporware in the I think they were fully aware the ANA was going to disappear like vaporware. I don't I don't think they expected across the entire America. country. I mean, he said they weren't. He said, I, "Wow, I was surprised. We were all surprised at how quickly we were able to do this." 
I don't now, think they expected NATO forces to actually just withdraw. Well, them. yeah, no. Well, no, because they had a ceasefire with the United States and NATO for the last year and a half. And the withdrawal date was supposed to be May, and they started pushing in May, and they were still U.S. That's true. in Afghanistan. Well, you know what? In May, when they kicked the can down the road in May, the Taliban put out a statement on their website where they said, you know, theoretically, any violence that was to happen now would be you guys' fault for doing this, right? But right. the Americans, and look, you know, Khalil Saad was meeting with them the whole time in Qatar, right? And clearly the message was, we're still leaving. We haven't broken the deal. We've only bent it. But we swear we're going to be out by the end of August or by the middle of September, whatever it is. So don't go breaking the ceasefire with us because we're not breaking the ceasefire with you. We're just taking a little longer. That's all. And the Taliban have kept their end of the deal. Even though the Americans bent the deal, the Taliban have kept their end of the deal. They haven't killed a single American this whole time. People are acting like it's the Khmer Rouge or ISIS has taken over and they're just killing everybody. But it's just not true. You know, um, yeah, I mean, there was that there was that they might. That went, yeah, there was a story that went viral of like some random Spanish troll on Twitter was like negotiating with the Taliban to get the people out of the Spanish embassy. And, like, successfully yeah, successfully did. While while the Spanish government was failing to get contact with anybody, this random guy with a Pepe profile picture was was Are negotiating with the that? Taliban. I've, I've seen that, but I, I didn't have a chance to verify. Yeah, I went, I went right I went right on their Twitter. The tweets are still up. You can translate it and everything. Like, yeah, it was like a legit. The Taliban sent a convoy to escort them to the airport. Yeah, because wow. of this, awesome. because the guy with a, with a Pepe profile picture with like a hundred followers on Twitter. Hey, man, if you got an article about that, please send it to me. I'll drop it right in the private chat here. Yeah, that's killer, man. So I, I actually watched like Scott, to the point where, like, maybe they didn't expect all of the ANA. I don't think they expected the special forces, the O3 units, to just give up. But I think they they firmly knew that the rank and file ANA troops were ready to give up because most of them had been paid off. Most of them didn't want to be there. Most of them had only enlisted for a paycheck from the U.S. government. That and they, they were, hadn't been yeah, paid. They, yeah, they yeah. weren't even right. getting that paycheck. But <laughs> I actually, I and the Taliban played it smart, too. They The Taliban went right into these bases, and they said, listen, give us your rifle and go home. Yeah. I so they didn't take across... people out back and shoot them, and they didn't throw them in a filthy jail. They just said, you're free to go. You're I... just fired from the Army. I and they said, okay, that sounds fair enough. Why fight? You know? Yeah, which, which, uh, to, like, to like Adam's point at the beginning of this about like, uh, and then it disappears. <laughs> but, uh, to, to his point at the beginning of this of people trying to make, and like Scott said, make it look like it's Khmer Rouge or some crazy shit. Uh, I don't, I don't understand how all there's the, all these stories coming out and kind of this rumor mill that like, oh, the Taliban are going to kill anyone who worked with the United States, anyone who worked with the government, anyone who was a translator in the military, anything like that, when they didn't treat the ANA like that. You think the one people you'd be lining up behind a building and shooting is the military, right. and they're not doing that to them. So I, I don't it's understand it. the pearl clutching around like, oh, all the, all the translators that worked with Marines are going to be executed. It's like, right. really? Although... They did murder some commanders, and I wouldn't be surprised if they took some revenge against some translators and what have you. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, I don't think know it's either. fair to presume, maybe not the absolute worst you could possibly imagine, but presume the worst within reasonable circumstances of the Taliban and the way that they act. Man, they're bastards. They're not Bin Ladenites, but they are horrible. You now, know, I, uh, to, to the point earlier, like of who was given up, Scott. I stumbled across a Vice interview. 
I generally don't give Vice much credence because they sensationalize and overhype everything and barely qualify as a news source, but they had found a reporter who had been, uh, Adam's back, um, Vice had found a reporter who had been embedded with Afghan 03, uh, the special forces unit in Kandahar. And when the Taliban surrounded the city, uh, he said everyone was terrified and that the special forces, they were digging trenches. They were preparing redoubts. They were ready to put up the fight of their lives. There were 600 men in the unit who were ready to fight to the death. Yeah, I watched that documentary. Any Taliban advance. And then the like the Taliban kept sending, like, lay down your weapons, go home, go home, go home. And then finally they got a phone call. They got orders from Kabul to surrender and leave. And the, ta- the Taliban had negotiated with Kabul around them for their evacuation and they the special forces got orders in kandahar that three planes would be landing at the airport and the taliban would allow them to board them and leave uh but there would be no fight yeah although you know they also had a situation there for a while where you know the taliban and i really should have been keeping notes on all this like day by day on the calendar of which provinces they were taking and whatever to refer back to now but they they didn't first at the very beginning, they started seizing major territory in and holding it, you know, down in Kandahar and in Helmand and then moving on. But then one of the first things they did was move straight to the north to head off the Northern Alliance at the pass. So they seized Mazari Sharif and Kunduz, well, Kunduz first, and then Mazari Sharif and a lot of these areas up near uh, the border with Kazakhstan and all of this to prevent the Northern Alliance from having those northern territories to run to kind of and then at that point you still had the ana putting up a fight for lashkar god the capital of helmand province way down in the south completely isolated from the rest of the country destined to lose on fighting on the taliban's home field there where they've owned all of helmand province except for lashkar god for the last 10 years or so and and then the, the Afghan army's fighting to the bitter end down there while the rest of the country in the north is falling without a fight and this kind of thing. So back to sort of what I don't mean to pick on you and argue with you, Adam, but what you're saying about and, and I, this is going around a lot that the military has made the withdrawal this bad deliberately just to just to discredit withdrawals and make them bad. Like I think that this is the best that they can do. I think that the ANA and the U.S. Army is are both government programs. And this is them. You know, this. why would we have after a 20 year catastrophe of a war? Why would the withdrawal look right? And in fact, so look at the position that they were put in there, too. I'm sorry, because we were supposed to talk about the protests. We got all diverted back on the war again here. But so. The only way that they could have done this right. Everybody's criticizing them because the for the main things. Right. Is the Taliban have seized all the weapons that they left in the hands of the ANA, right, is one. And then the other is all the civilians who are there who have to be emergency shipped out to the airport and shipped out of the country in this kind of humiliating sort of fashion, right? But now there's only one solution to this problem, and that would be for Biden on January the 21st to give a giant speech where he told the entire truth and said, listen, The Kabul government and the Afghan National Army are an absolute joke. And Horton's right. They couldn't possibly stand for a day without us. Therefore, it would be a huge mistake to leave all these weapons in their hands because the Taliban are going to get them. And it would be a mistake to leave a big civilian diplomatic and, and spy and mercenary and whatever force in Kabul 
because they're going to be at risk because the Taliban are probably going to take Kabul as soon as we leave. And they would have been attacked like mad by the hawks for that. But that would have been the only right way to do it. Because what do they do? By by compromising and refusing to do that, and especially by kicking down the can, kicking the can down the road from the May deadline to later on, they put themselves in a situation where, yeah, we're pretending that this Kabul government we've built can stand just fine. It's doing great. And the Afghan National Army, why, yes, sir, it's 300,000 men strong and it's ready to fight for the democracy we've helped create for these people. So so it's fine and it's safe for us to leave, you know, 3,000 employees at the Kabul embassy or whatever it is. They're claiming now another 10,000 civilians uh, with American citizenship spread throughout the country. I don't know if that's really true, but they're saying, you know, claiming all that. But then at this point, if, especially once they're pretending that this government project has worked there or whatever, then think of the criticism that they would take if they had then decided to start destroying all the Afghan army's equipment. Right, because uh, we, we talked about that. Withdrawing <laughs> all they're thinking about staff. it now. I saw a tweet um, that was reporting the White, White House leak that Biden was uh, talking about plans with the Joint Chiefs about the possibility of drumming up a run of airstrikes to target equipment. Left oh, no. Right. They've already been doing that. I mean, th that's the cleanup after the fact. There, there's been sending B-52 strikes out against the equipment they left behind. But I'm talking about when it was still in the hands of the Afghan army before right. the Taliban took it from it, we, we, we talked so about that had, on my show where uh, all these hawks are like, how could we leave all this equipment, blah, blah, blah. But then if we would have, when we pulled out, taken that equipment with it, with us, those same hawks would have been like, defenseless. yeah, how could we leave them defenseless? And it's like, exactly right. You know? So that's the position. That was like the rock in the hard place position that they tried, that they like talked them. So they painted themselves into that corner by being less than totally honest. They were totally honest. They just would have said, look, Bush and Obama lost this war a long time ago. Okay. The Kabul government is the most corrupt organization in the history of mankind outside of Washington, D.C. And so we're calling it COWIT. And that's it. That's the only way they could have gone about it. Otherwise, no matter what, this is the catastrophe you get. The Taliban hey, come gets on, come on, guys. I, I know, and all these rifles and whatever it is. And I, I know the idea of Biden telling the truth truth <laughs> is, is, is laughable, but Scott's being serious. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm saying, look, he he knew he wanted to get out. Why did he even kick the can down the road from May? He didn't want it to be Trump's withdrawal. He wanted it to be his withdrawal. So I saw something he should have just done the right thing from the very beginning, told the whole truth from the very beginning. And that would have been the best case scenario for getting out of the country. And the Taliban would be taking over the whole country right now, but they wouldn't be getting all of this stuff. And we wouldn't have American civilians at risk because they would have taken care of all of that in Feb January, February, and March, and April of this year before any of this came to a head at all. I think I saw I saw a leak. I think it was Pesayevic or one of the other uh, conservative talking heads had tweeted up their leak from the press pool that, um, like, leading up to the speech, the reason, like, Biden's speech was so delayed, even though it should have been going on for a couple of days, uh, was Harris freaking out and demanding that nothing be pinned on her. Well... Interesting. I mean, what could be pinned on her? She's just along for the ride anyway. You know what well, I mean? She's, I she's, she's our she's our president elect. What do you mean, Scott? <laughs> well, I'm sure she has some bad votes in the Senate or whatever, but it's not like she has anything to do with this war thus far, you know? Yeah, well, but on my favorite, she'd been talking about leading up to the actual fall of Kabul uh, un, until it became obvious, until the media started acknowledging how everything was going to shit. Uh, it had been Vice President Harris is leading the charge to withdraw from Afghanistan. So it was, oh, a, media, really? it was a media fuck up about how they were selling it, pretty much. 
No, well, she my was my favorite name that came out of this was it's it's President Bush, you know, who's been painting in his retirement, and he's painting the meme of Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man, and it's it's Trump uh and Biden pointing at each other, and he's just smiling at the and camera. Obama. Yeah, there's three yeah, Spider-Man. No, Obama, Trump, yeah, it's three of them, yeah. right? It's three Spider-Man. Yeah. Trump, Obama, and Biden pointing the fingers at each other, going, yeah. Afghanistan is your fault. And, and, and yeah, the whole plan yeah. game is ridiculous. This is, but I just want to connect this to. I mean, even talking about Kamala and all of this, it, the the blame game is is it, it. This is why to me it's very important to use precise language about attribution of responsibility, because you you blame these politicians or these commanders for winning or losing, and I think it ignores the the deeper problem of militarism and the entrenchment of the military industrial complex that allows this to happen. And again, back to like, what is the significance of the end of the war in Afghanistan? It's, it's this gradual human progress of cutting out militarism and conflict and achieving a more peaceful world. And here's, here's one, you know, demarcation, one, one point in time where we call it the end of the war in Afghanistan, but it's, it's just part of the continued decline of the American empire. Yeah, that's you know to bring it back to like the protests and everything. That's this is part of it. The fact that I can get all the I can get people that used to run Bernie Sanders campaign, Tulsi Gabbard's campaign, a bunch of libertarians, the Mises caucus, and like the ACLU to show up in Washington D.C. together and not fight like cats and dogs. Is to, is to your point of like people are increasingly getting sick of it, and I really think the reason why it's not even worse is just the the lack of knowledge for so many people because obviously everyone in this call like we we know we're in places like africa we know that we're doing weird borderline military stuff in south america and stuff like that if that was talked about at the news at all i think the anti-war fervor would be even more extreme because like like i bring up to normal people all the time of like hey do you know that we're you know bombing in somalia and they're like what do you mean we're bombing in somalia and it's like yeah, we have been for like 10 years now, you know, or something like that. 20. Yeah, to, yeah. special forces are still doing interdiction in Mexico and Colombia. Yeah, it's like people know- just aren't aware of this. And that's, how are that's- we getting everybody to D.C.? That's what I want to know is how are we going to make this thing a huge thing and not a uh, not huge thing? I, well, I mean, anybody watching now, you can go to andthedamnwars.org for information. If you can't make it to D.C., you damn well can organize something locally and just reach out to Magnus to make sure it gets put up there. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely feel that it might end up having to be a momentum thing because obviously this this first time we are like a brand new organization that's f- what five months old now. And even though like got amazing people like Scott and amazing people like Michael Heiss at the Mises Caucus and all these people for the Bernie Sanders and Tulsi campaign, we're still fresh. So we're we're doing everything we can to get you know phone calls out to reach out to these organizations to get them to promote it. We're on worldwithoutwar.com. Like so we've we've done great things. But obviously like the the I you know I want to caution people about DC that we're going to do put responsibility on you. You can make it a huge thing, but also you do have to keep in mind that like usually protests that don't have backing from the Democrats or the Republicans or don't are trying to elect somebody don't blow up because as, as you probably saw over the last year, the moment the DNC gets uninvolved with, with, you know, an activist movement, it evaporates and the same thing with the RNC on other things, but we're trying to build this network. And that's so important. And I think that people seeing different groups together on this is very important from kind of a 
I guess propaganda for lack of better term, you know, purpose of, of a lot of people don't think that the greens or the LP or like the DSA or like anybody can work together on anything. Yet I bring up stuff like what happened in New Hampshire where the DSA partnered with the free state project and almost got, uh, what was it? It was a qualified immunity banned and only lost by one vote. And people are like the DSA and Republicans work together. Impossible. And it's like, see, so the more people find out about that, the more it grows this network and this coalition. And the more we can maybe bring back that early two thousands kind of energy. Cause me and Scott have had many phone calls where we sit there and we lament that nobody cares about war and you can't get libertarians to show up to things or anything like that, you know, but it's changing slowly, but surely. Oh, you're muted, Scott, by the way. You're muted, Scott. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot my. I do always do that. Hey, have you talked to the guys at Young Americans for Liberty? Yeah, I've I've, I've blown up Breaky and everything like that, and uh, they're they're like soft promoting it right now. But I have to keep harassing them because they're saying that they're very busy. But I don't take no yeah. for an answer, and I'm very. So annoying. I mean, I have to reach out to Lauren Doherty directly. Lauren Doherty, she is the director of Young Americans for Liberty. She replaced Cliff Maloney. Uh, she is herself a veteran. Okay, I'll hit her up. Hundred oh, percent. I, that's so that's, the, that's the main thing is just getting like names, numbers, and contacts because you can't you reach out to people. Social media guy, like because I don't see much on Twitter that like, hey, coming up this September 11th, these people are speaking at this thing. I saw like only one tweet like that. Yeah, it's it's right right now. It's because we keep making speaker graphics, and then more people say they're going to speak, and more people pull out. Like we did the whole thing with the defend the guard, and then the defend the guard. We're like, no, we have to do something in Massachusetts, and then they were like, okay, never mind, we could send one person. So it's just it's just a mess. We're trying not to put out like false information of like, hey, you know, this yeah. person is going to speak, and then they're well, not there. No, so I mean, I think I I gotta tell you, I think like the vast majority of, of people follow me, they haven't seen or heard any of this. They don't know that this is happening because I hadn't had anything to retweet about it at all. Yeah. So, so, so go definitely ahead pull the trigger on some of those, man, you know? Yeah. So we're definitely, if you guys are watching, go follow Magnus's protest on Twitter and at end the damn wars. Yeah. Hey, and Justin, I, since we're, I want to interject with a yep. strategic point in this to the longevity of this cause and the potential of this brand, when, and, and then plug something that I'm working on that's related to this. If you see what's going on in France with the COVID vaccine passport protests, they're coming out every Saturday. And they have made the determination, like, that is what the protest movement has latched onto. We are going to come out every Saturday until this vaccine passport is not a thing. Now, end the damn wars. I think that's a great rallying cry for those of us who know how much is going on. If it connects with the general public, it could have some sustainability as a brand. And I'm grateful that Magnus is organizing the opportunity for me to put a little bit of my effort behind seeing if we can make this brand work as something sustainable and enduring that goes to push down the rest of the adventurism and American militarism once and for all. But one of the things that I think is important to this tactically that we did a lot of with Iraq veterans against the war was counter recruiting and keeping people from enlisting and then also helping people get out of the military as a conscientious objector. So I got to plug girightshotline.org. If anybody's in the military right now thinking, oh geez, I'm a loser. Well, you can step away from that loser organization of the US military, get out as a conscientious objector. There are a lot of other legal routes where you don't, you don't ever have to pull a trigger and shoot and kill or or drop a bomb on an innocent person ever again if you decide that you don't want to be a part of that game you can stop playing gi rights oh hell yeah we got it ready thank you justin giRightsHotline.org. and so there are these less glamorous than protesting 
supplemental veins, uh, venues of activism that are very important to the anti-war cause. And as a veteran who uh, got out under challenging circumstances myself, has helped a lot of other people get out and has convinced a lot of people not to join the military. I think that's very important. Second, um, I'm doing a, a nonprofit called Homefront Battle Buddies, homefrontbattlebuddies.com to help get vets stoned in the woods and empower this generation of veterans to make sure that uh, our lessons are learned by the, the broader public. And I think specifically right now and over the next few months, uh, you know, Justin, I'm grateful for you as, a, as another veteran independent podcaster here, media producer with this. Uh, I think especially right now, and it's not, I, I, I love Ron Paul for saying, you know, you don't have to go to Iraq to read the Constitution. To say, listen to me because I'm a veteran is a bullshit appeal to authority. But if that's the language that it takes to reach a certain part of the general population right now, Justin, I know you personally, you personally, Justin, especially as the Afghanistan vet in the room right now, have shied away from this. And I, I know it's tough. Hey, I know it's tough for my own experience. My reasoning, better. As, as right now, more shot. than ever, I want to encourage guys like you to stand up and say, yeah, let's learn the lessons of my experience and make sure this doesn't happen again. So as I explained on your show last week, like to me, it was always when running for office, I never wanted to ever mention I was in the military because people who run for office on a platform of I am a veteran piss me the fuck off uh, because they'd run for office on a platform of vote for me because I have a title, not because I have any policy, uh, any kind of like ideas on how to fix things. And that gets lost in the, in the crowd. Like people run and say, I'm a veteran. And that's their whole campaign. And that's all anybody knows of them. When I was running and WMUR just did research on me and they put up a candidate profile that said National Guard veteran Justin O'Donnell, I specifically emailed them saying, take that down. Like, I don't want that because I want people to look into my policy. I, I think it's, I think on. it's, I think there's a certain value that you're overlooking that the general public needs to see anti-war veterans. They need to see that there's that dissent. Cause if you don't put that there, all they're going to see is, Oh, all the veterans are pro-war. Yeah. So you have, you have organizations like vet for peace and stuff like that. And that, that's like the other thing I'm trying to do with this is, is the unity like the unity thing obviously applies to the political parties, applies to the you know, persuasions, ideologies and everything like that. But there's also all of these organizations that, you know, it, it's, it's crazy to me that I can't hit up just like you, Adam, and you have the phone number to all of these different anti-war organizations because a lot of people don't talk to each other. Like a lot of people don't go in between. You kind of have to go through these networks of everything. And I, that's, you know, another thing I'm trying to pull off here is to pull all of these guys together and be like, hey, this is this is serious and this and we should use this moment of what's going on in Afghanistan to like come together and pool our resources like concerned veterans for America, that's for peace, like all these answer coalition, code pink, like there's hundreds of them, you know, and you rarely see everybody in one place. And it's like I I I'm always weird and people, you know, like to be the Eeyore to me and like rain on my parade of like, oh, there's a reason for that. And I'm like, screw that reason. Like we can, we can do this together. And, you know, to Scott's thing about like promotion, now that we finally have everything kind of nailed down because the permitting process, as you can imagine in DC was a nightmare, especially now, Jesus Christ, are these people the most bureaucratic nightmare nonsense you ever have to deal with in have your you life? Considered not hey, sorry, man, before I forget, since since there's an important connection here with what's happening in Afghanistan and and these rallies, even though it's 
almost like a celebration for what's happening in Afghanistan. Do you think we could get an affiliate event going in Kabul? Do we get the Taliban to participate in? It? Here's the thing, and this is this is 100% serious <laughs> and um um Possibly. I have I have to I have to be reined in because obviously I'm organizing it, I'm doing all of this, but I'm also an eccentric eccentric character. And I literally well, had, they're gonna see your beard and love you. Yeah, I had I had that account. I think we should probably do a joint celebration with the Taliban on September eleventh. That's yeah. not what I'm there for. Yeah. This is this that's the thing, that's, is is like, is like they were to do with my intention of being there. I didn't say the Taliban, I just said in common American. No, that's 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 that, that's like that's that's the thing is uh the Taliban were retweeting WikiLeaks and I was like this is weird like this is a weird moment and so and they were retweeting WikiLeaks in response to Marianne Williamson becoming pro-war because Marianne Williamson started freaking out demanding we keep troops in Afghanistan to protect women's rights and that the worst thing about the war coming to end was women's rights and the Taliban retweeted a WikiLeaks article about how the CIA was using feminist propaganda to shore up support for the war in Europe. That, yeah, that, that's that's what I was getting that's what I was getting at at there is like this really is kind of that moment cuz god forbid the Taliban is like jumping on and like retweeting WikiLeaks like okay if if you can have that weird crossover moment like that's the most extreme. You cannot go any further than the Taliban retweeting WikiLeaks, okay? If we can do that then why can't we do something way less e extreme in terms of like unity and like, like coming together here? So you know, that's, that's what I was kind of getting at. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was trying, but I, like I, I, but to my point of having to be reined in is like, I asked the, I asked the, one of the other social media people of like, can on, on the main account, can I point out that the Taliban's retweeting WikiLeaks? And they're like, no, to Scott, as you know, Scott also points out, I was like, no, that probably isn't the best idea. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But like, it's, you know, to the idea though, like, damn, if they could do that, then, you know, why can't we, you know, get the Green Party together with the LP for a day? Like, you know, that's kind Going of my thought the process. Anti left. There and was an anti-war protest. Too. There was an anti-war protest in Boston every Saturday morning for six years that stopped the day Barack Obama was elected. That's the whole reason why I, I like fell into the LP, even though I'm not much of like, like a quote unquote libertarian as most people are politically, I fell in with that crowd because I was a massive like anti-war advocate under Obama. And I was like running around, you know, like the George Bush's Hitler rallies and stuff like that. I was doing all that. And then when Obama got elected, all of my friends just vaporized into the ether. And I was like, Hey, we're bombing Libya. Isn't this bad? And they're like, yeah, kind of. It's like, no, like, and that that's why this is going to be really hard. And any success we get with the march and any future marches and this whole campaign, I consider very important because we are not a DNC backed protest organization. We are not trying to get libertarians elected. We don't have Republicans backing us and to go on stage and talk about how bad war is and then hand out their cards to fund their campaign. These are You're just right. anti-war activists. I resent like, you including trying to get libertarians elected. In that list of things that turns out crowds for protests. I know true. for a fact it doesn't. <laughs> true. That's how you define a crowd. But either Four way, like, that's what I'm saying. Technically like, a crowd, Adam. Because a lot of people like ask, like, oh, is this just like, like uh, uh, as soon as the Mises party got involved, they're like, oh, is this just like a libertarian front group to promote the Mises caucus? It's like, no. Like, we're happy they're involved. We love it. But that is not what this is about. This is not an election campaign. This is not like a, a fundraising thing for any political party. These are anti-war activists that are sick of fucking war and we're going to get together and 
we're going to try to do something that's very rare in America and have like a genuine grassroots, non-infiltrated or co-opted protest movement. And you hear that, answer, Archie? You, you mentioned that answer, Archie? answer back involved. Uh, answer Sorry, Archie. Yeah. Um, they're, like, are they running around or are they involved with the march? With this, yeah. No, we've we've hit them up a ton and they like have yet to respond to us. I'm going to start making like even more phone calls and being more annoying because my kind of take right now is either people are going to tell me no, people are going to tell me yes, or they're going to block me. That's how like committed I am to reaching out to these people. So we'll see if they finally respond to my like happy harassment of to get them involved we'll see but yeah yeah they, they were harassment. they were really responsible for all of the big rallies when i was organizing with ivaw yeah. but then yeah. they were the epitome of well we're useless under obama yeah i, I went to their website and it listed all their marches and literally their last big one was 2008 and then they did nothing after that and i was like god so that's the, that's the thing is like a lot of people are like reach out to like X, you know, organization. I'm like, I would love to have them show up, but they're a partisan organization because there are even some like right wing organizations that were super anti-war under Obama. And then the moment Trump got elected, they like also evaporated in the ether. Not as bad as the left wing movement, but like still to a degree. So, you know, it's tricky with some of these organizations because the, the no brainers you think you should reach out to are also the people that like only care when it's an R or a D in front of the name doing it. So it's like, what? all right. Well, we're at our hour. We're actually over our hour. Thank you guys for putting up with me before we let everyone go. Uh, let's go around the horn, tell everyone where they can follow up with you, get more information and how they can follow you. Magnus go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Magnus Panvidia. It's a uh, Panvidia Magnus. It's backwards on Twitter. Cause I was suspended. And then Magnus Panvidia on YouTube where I run the unity or death podcast. And then obviously end the damn wars.com. We're doing a huge thing this Saturday where uh, I'm going to be hosted on the MCSC network, which has like 50K subscribers on, on YouTube. And we're going to be doing a 12-hour live stream where I'm bringing all kinds of people on to promote this and hype this up. Like there's, I have you know Tulsi Gabbard people, like explicit communists, libertarians, like Republican people. Like it's going to be a wild 12-hour long live stream to hype this up. We're after tonight, there's going to be a lot of announcements on like what well, finally got our permits settled. So like, you know, where the event time, here's the stage. We're going to start, you know, announcing more speakers. Now that people have finally kind of settled down into who's actually speaking, we're just going to, you know, this is, this is the, the 20 days, 30 days leading up to this. We're going to go crazy with it. So they'll get lots for you on that, Scott. It, it, you know, it, like I said, the the process behind this has been hurting cats with blow dryers because so many people will be like, yeah, I'll speak at your event. And then they'll go like, oh, like there, there's a Republican speaking. I don't want to speak there anymore or like <laughs> vice versa. So that's just unity, unity politics, coalition politics. You know, it, it's it's fun. We did have one speaker. I won't name who they are. That was like 100 percent on board until they found out that uh, Spike was speaking of all people. Oh my God. And then they pulled out. So it's like. Yeah, so that that's Spike's the best of us. Yeah, Spike's What's the least offensive. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. This was a lefty person that was it's like his no, chest hair. They're offended by his chest hair. I, I have no idea. So yeah, if, if you see any like like radio silence, it's because of that. Because we'll be like, oh, we're super excited to announce this tomorrow. And then the person pulls out. But yeah, more to come. Pay attention. Super thankful for Scott for speaking there and everyone that's done help so far. And we're gonna go into like real nose of the grindstone work for the rest of the rest of the month up up to it so awesome scott where can people follow up with you 
All right. Well, I got a show at scotthorton.org, and I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, and we got a lot of great writers and podcasters and things there. So I'm really proud of that. I haven't been working as hard as I should be on it because <laughs> I'm very busy. But uh, libertarianinstitute.org for that. And antiwar.com, I'm the editorial director there. Uh, but we got all the best writers in America and the best news coverage, everything you need. All libertarians should be starting every day at antiwar.com. And then uh, I wrote these books. Yeah, these ones. Ghoul's uh, <laughs> Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and Enough Already, uh, Time to End the War on Terrorism, both of which get Afghanistan 100% right and um, all the rest of this stuff too, if you like that kind of thing. And then I think that's it. <laughs> oh, I'm on the radio in LA on Sunday mornings on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. And at Scott Horton Show on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm complaining all day on uh, Twitter to <laughs> Scott Horton Show. That's good. Yeah. All right, Adam, where can people follow up with you? Yeah, well, that's my main website there, thefreedomline.com. I want to really plug Telegram, t.me slash Adam versus the man. I want to be able to push everything out through Telegram now. I think it's a great platform everybody should check out. Uh, but I spent enough time plugging my stuff. Justin, I want to thank you for putting this conversation together. This is really cool. And again, everything to, to be an example of a veteran, to not be afraid of that, to reach the normies. I mean, I really want to encourage you to play that card uh, so that they don't have the false impression that every veteran in America is pro-war. Pan, thank you for your organizing. Scott, thank you for your research and your expertise and your writing and your diligence over the decades in your work. It's an honor to be on this panel and included with these great minds. All right, and it was an absolute pleasure to have all of you guys here today. Like, yeah, yeah. I look up to all of you guys so much. You guys, I'm a huge fan of all yours. And uh, honestly, I was expecting a lot more difficulty trying to get all of you at the same time. Uh, <laughs> first shot that was uh, when I talked to Scott's producer and said, "All right, here are my dates." He gave me a date. I reached out to Adam and Magnus. They're both just yes on the spot. I'm like, "We're good. We're going." All right, so. Thank you guys for making this easy. Thank you guys for making a great show. And I look forward to doing this again sometime when the next war ends. Right. Awesome. See you guys Peace, in D.C. See you in D.C. Show up. Do it. <laughs> Adios, everyone. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. As always, big shout out to our guests and our viewers for making this show worth doing. And make sure you check out the links in the description to follow up and learn more. And always, as always, check out our sponsored merch over on snackswag.com. I stream this show to Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch live, and everything's uploaded to Odyssey the same day. So make sure you check out our channel on these platforms and help out by liking, following, subscribing, and most of all, sharing the content with your friends. That's all for today. See you guys next time.